This place is a refuge of God's goodness and God's grace. It's true. I was sharing a testimony with our teenagers Wednesday, and it's just so relevant why this place is so important. And, and I was sharing it with them not to, um, there was a church, I'm not going to mention the name of the church, but it's a very big church. And, I, you know, as, as I presented this, I was like, it's not to belittle this church or anything, but basically it was a testimony of a girl who had fallen doing something that she loves, and she basically was glorifying God because she felt that God did this to make God first priority in her life. That's twisted. I mean, but sadly, that's the popular belief about God. You know, here, here she is, a high school student, and she wasn't in her mind and in her heart putting God first. And so God literally, it was such an accident where she, she ended up in a concussion and like bedridden for like several months. And she was like, terrible. God, you're saying no, and you're taking this away. And God, you're using this to heal me. Let me tell you, that's not the character of God. If you want to see the character of God, you look at the person of Jesus. Jesus, that is not what Jesus would do. Jesus would not hurt somebody so that you would, you would make, them, make him first priority. And that's why this place, that's one of the reasons this place exists is because it's confusing, right? If we're supposed to trust God, I mean, trust, when you think about trust, I think we, we hear that word lightly, like trust. When I think of like trust, like I'm over a cliff, okay? And it's me just letting go. You know, real trust, that something is going to catch you. You know what I mean? And that, and that person is God, and that is, that is the character of God. Amen. But if I have my back up against this cliff, and in the back of my mind, I think that God does things to me to try and somehow get me to put them first again, it's, it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to trust him like that. And so, yeah, it is very simple, and we say this over and over and over and over again, but when we trust God, it it looks like the life of Jesus. You know, the, the Bible says in John 14, 12, that we will do greater works than him. Come on, think about that. We're going to, he says, we will, Jesus is saying this. You will do greater works than I did. And trust, it, it looks real, and it doesn't have to be this, just this outward show of the supernatural, but it's, it's an inward show. When you know who you are and you trust who God says you are, you'll walk like Jesus. You'll look like Jesus. 
you'll have the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. You know, sometimes when I like, I, I kind of do this little mental e- exercise nobody's ever taught me, but sometimes when I'm going through something or I'm, I'm stressed out or, or nervous or concerned, I'll put my mind in heaven. How do I think in heaven? How do I feel in heaven? You know, that seems like, oh, okay, well, I, can, I can tell you. I think you'd feel like this. But, but in doing that, it's amazing. I actually begin to feel the realities of that. Yes. Peace begins to come and be birthed on the inside of me and come out. And it's because I'm acknowledging who I am. I'm acknowledging what's more real, what's more true. Emotions seem very real sometimes. But who we are in Christ and the kingdom within is a lot more real than that. And we are going to always, 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 always make it about Jesus. Always make it about Jesus. I mean, like I was talking about the curriculum that we're we're starting for the youth ministry. You know, we can focus a lot on giving good advice and, you know, good ways to build your character. But the problem is we have so many choices that we want to make, right? But we don't have the power to make them. You know, most people know what to do. Most of us, we all know what to do. We know the right decision to make. We do. Whether it be not spending money that we, we don't have, whether it's, you know, continuing a habit that is hurting us or whatever it may be, there are things, or, or lashing out in anger, we know we're not supposed to do that, or talking about someone or whatever it may be, or even talking bad about ourselves or treating ourselves the way that we don't deserve. We know the choices that we're supposed to make, but we don't have the power to make them sometimes. And it's really because we're looking at either ourselves or we're looking out outward to the world. Our focus, our attention is drawn on something that doesn't need to be there. But when we focus on Jesus and we focus on as he is, so am I in this world, And that becomes real on the inside. You have to get a revelation of this. It has has to be revelation. It can't just be, I got the knowledge now, now it's real. You know, for me, I was a drug addict from 16 to 21. I struggled with, with meth like almost every day of my life. And... It was when I heard about who I was in Christ. I never heard that. I'd grown up in church my whole life. Had not a clue of who I was in Christ. I didn't know the victory that I had. And when I heard the truth of who I was in my spirit, that I am perfect, I am holy, I am blameless, I am bold as a lion, I'm the righteousness of God. Man, I'm living... Like a complete sinner. 
but I was the righteousness of God. And when I, when I heard this truth, it, it did something to me. It, it, I experienced freedom. I mean, real freedom. I mean, this is what real freedom looks like, is you don't even have the desire for that thing. It's not you, you know, struggling and trying to make the decision. It's not you repeatedly falling and falling and falling and falling over again. When the grace of God and who he has made us into his very image comes alive, there is tremendous freedom. And I lost complete desire for the old life. Complete desire. I didn't work for it. I didn't strive for it. All I did was say, God, help. (laughs) I I didn't even know how to pray. I was like, God, I know there's got to be something more. Whatever it is, I just receive it right now in faith. You know, a lot of times we are so formula and intellectual-based with, with, with freedom and solutions. Man, the best thing to do is just say help. God knows what you need before you even ask anyways. And I, and I just cried out to him, God, help me. And in that moment, he flooded me just with with acceptance, with love, and who I was as a son. Man, that is the power. It is the power. Your, Your sonship, who you are as a son and a daughter of the king, that he's your daddy. I said I wasn't supposed to say that with the teenagers, but... It, I don't care It's how funny it sounds. You know, Christ, when he was on the cross, he, he cried what? Abba, Abba, meaning daddy, daddy. It's intimacy, and it's real, and there is a freedom there. And it was completely changed my entire life. And that, I mean, that's the reason... That's the reason that my heart is is for Jesus is to see people experience that freedom, to experience that power because it's real and it's live. And once you've tasted, you can't go back. There's no turning back. Once you've tasted the goodness of God, you can't go back. You can't turn back. It's impossible. I say this all the time, but if you're going a thousand miles per hour, it's hard to take a U-turn. And what is going to drive the, that momentum? That thing is going to accelerate your your speed. Is to see him, to put him just right there in front of you, no matter what, no matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on, and let what he says about you
become more real. I mean, when you've blown it, you've messed up, you take yourself to a mirror and you look at yourself and you declare what God says. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's faith. I mean, it takes a lot of faith for when you've blown it and you messed up to declare the truth of your identity. We like to do it a lot when we're feeling good and we got all our, you know, we've got all our T's crossed and all our I's dotted. But when you do it, when you, you've completely blown it, when you've gotten mad at your spouse or when you've yelled at your kids or whatever decision you make, and you just declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the power, and that's how God sees us. So as I was, man, I didn't plan on going in that direction, but man, I guess I needed to hear that. When I was... Um, planning on, on sharing, you know, I just kind of went to this quiet place. And God just gave me this, this vision um, a few years ago before I married my wife when I actually was running. And there was this season in my life, it was kind of bizarre, but there was this season where I did a lot of running. And I, like, would get on the treadmill at the gym. I would run outside and run the gym. And I just wanted to see if I could run for a whole hour straight. And I was like, okay, I can do that. That's pretty cool. And so I just kept increasing it, like, to where I ended up, I think, you know, when I stopped my short season of running on treadmills, um, <laughs> I ran, like, seven and a half miles in one hour. And I felt pretty proud of myself. I was like, man, that's pretty good. Um, but... I would look, I would, you should have seen me too running. It was quite hilarious because I was just getting, you know, you get into your music and you're just, you know, you're just, you're, if I had hair, it would have been waving. But I just didn't care, you know what I mean? When you were like running, like doing something like really hard and you're just working really hard at it, you're like, I don't care what anybody thinks in this moment because I got a goal and I'm going to reach it, you know? And, um, you know, some of you, do we have any runners in here? Any runners? No? Okay. Okay. We've got a few. Okay. Or if you do anything that's like, you know, you have to really, you kind of go through this, um, I guess, like threshold of pain, you know? And like running is kind of like that experience, you know, there was this, like honestly, I felt like the last 20 minutes or so was easier than the beginning or even the middle. And it's like, and I think this is para, you know, parallel with life is, you know, sometimes it's just hard to get started in something and it's painful. And with this running, I just, when I would reach kind of the peak of like this pain, I'm just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I can't take another step. What helped me was going in a place in my heart and in my mind 
of seeing people that I loved and cared about running with me. And I just felt like God gave me that picture for us as a body. Like when life gets challenging, when life gets tough, when the pain is hard, who are you running with? Like, who are you running with? Like, and it was incredible. I think, like, and it just, once I had done this once, it became just, it became a, I would do it again the next time I would run. I knew where I would go in my heart and mind because of what it did on the inside of me. We all want to be strong, right? We all want to be able to press on and press forward and move through life and glide through life and not be stopped by giving up. None of us really want to give up. Especially if you are a believer in Christ, it is not in our nature to give up. Not. It's not. It's not in our nature. It is to surrender to him but it's not to give up. You know what I'm saying. And so I just felt like there is a strength that can be experienced if we decide to run together, if we decide to run the same race, to to join together as a family. And I'm not just talking about here, but abroad, that if we learn how to run together, because sometimes, honestly, and just to be real, sometimes we like to run alone, right? Sometimes we may feel there's all kinds of different reasons, but maybe we feel like it's just easier to run alone. Maybe it's easier just not to let anybody in. Maybe, you know, what I'm going through is just, it's, You know, I don't want to burden somebody else with that. But we are called to run together, to draw strength from one another, to be vulnerable, to be transparent. And really, that happens as as we're going and we are affirming who we are in Christ, as we are doing that, you find the strength to let people in. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because when your self-worth is in him and you're not looking at you, you're not afraid to let people in anymore. You're able to let people close. You're able to let people see your weaknesses to see your struggles. And it's not that we stay there and we glorify, and I'm not saying that you just spread your, we spread our stuff to everybody, but it's, it's finding family, people that are gonna build you up, they're going to encourage you, they're gonna be a support, they're gonna give you confidence, they're gonna give you hope. Man, we need hope all the time. 
So if you're running out of strength, you're running out of steam, find somebody to run with. Find somebody to run with. Find those people that when you're going through that threshold, you got somebody to go to. And like, it's a risk. If, I, if it wasn't a risk, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be easy. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to. <laughs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> not supposed to. Oh. Yeah, there, yeah, you put it in the ground, that post, yeah. <laughs> but I want to read um, Hebrews 12, 1 with you. And um, I've been kind of reading the Passion Translation a little bit. I really, it's really good. So this is the Passion Translation. And we'll read verse 1. It says, as for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. We'll just leave it there. So this is somebody who is actually running with you, and you don't even see them. You don't even realize it. If you read Hebrews 11, I've been wanting to preach on this for a while because it's good. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter, and it, it mentions all the people basically in the Old Testament that had these awesome stories of faith. You know, Abraham, who, who needed a child who was going to have an inheritance of, of children and a nation, and he was 100 years old, and, and David versus Goliath, and, and Samuel, and Ruth, and all these great people you hear about, you know, in, in the Bible. They're all listed in the, the chapter of faith. They walked by faith. This is how. They, this is how they did it. So this is talking about these great witnesses. It's talking about them. It's talking about all these people that we can see, how they walked by faith. And here's the revelation that I received years ago, is that they didn't even have, they just had a piece of the picture. They just, I mean, you read these stories, and it's amazing what they did. And that faith that they, that faith that they had, but we have to realize that we have something greater, something much more than what they had. They had this partial view of God. You have to think about it. The prophets, that's what it talks about in Hebrews 1, in Hebrews um, verse 1 through 2, is how the prophets were basically just completing a piece of the puzzle to reveal the perfect image, the perfect picture of God. And Jesus we have, when we look at something and we have faith towards something, we're, we have faith with Jesus in our sights and who he is. I mean, there is, it's amazing if they can do that with having this partial 
this partial image of who God is, what can we do? Seeing Jesus face to face. You know, nobody had ever, ever, I mean, think about it, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, nobody had ever seen God. The closest that anybody got to Saul or to see God was Moses. And he just got to see the backside. <laughs> and his face was glowing for, for a while. I've seen the backside of God, the glory of God. But we're not looking at the backside. We're not. And what all that means is if you're looking at somebody behind, you, you can't see them. You can't see you can't see their personality. You can't see who they are as a person. But we stare at Jesus face to face, beholding him. We're looking perfectly into the image of God and who he is. And so those people are running with us. Those people are cheering us on. Those people are telling, you can do it. You can run. You can run and not grow weary. You can have the strength. Those are people that we can look to for their example. Verse, go, go to verse 2. And it says, We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze unto Jesus, who births faith within us, who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. You can leave it there. Man, that's the reason Jesus was running. It's because of us. We were the joy that was set before him. And when I read that, that word about he conquered humiliation. Man, I mean, completely humiliated. Like, anybody like being humiliated? No. He he took that on, he conquered its humiliation that we would have to have shame, we would have to have that. And he did that for us. And so when we look at the race that we're running, we remember that we're not running alone already. There are a cloud of witnesses that the Bible says that are with us that have gone before us. There are people cheering you on in heaven all the time. That's not focusing on the natural realm, but focusing what is in true, what is in heaven. I want to go to the next verse. It's Hebrews 10, verse 23. And this kind of just like really makes the point. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised, who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, 
not forsaking the assembly, the assembling of ourselves together as if the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The, the Passion Translation, it, it said it basically, find creative ways to encourage each other. Do not neglect meeting with each other. Do not neglect family. Do not neglect what God is doing amongst each and every one of us. Do not neglect. It makes it very clear that it's about a family. It's about community. It's about God drawing us together and drawing strength from one another. Because there is something in each and every one of us. There is potential on each and every one of us. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so you sharpen each other. What that's saying and what that means is each one of us are called to sharpen one another. You know, you don't want to use a rusty knife, do you, when you, you're cooking? No, it's like the worst thing ever. Because you're not going to do a very good job and it's going to take a lot longer. And the same is true. That just because something is dull or something is not sharp doesn't mean that it doesn't have potential in it. You know what I'm saying? Each one of us, there's incredible giftings and callings and there's love to give that we have not even seen. Love to give to one another creative ways to encourage one another. And that's what it's all about. You know, the kingdom of God, it's really, if you look at it, it's, it, it looks, it would be, it's kind of upside down looking in the sense that it's all about serving one another. Amen. You know, there's a, there's a story and Jesus shares, it's in, uh, I think it's in Mark 13, where Jesus is sharing with his disciples about what he's going to get ready to do, about his crucifixion and his resurrection. And James and John get the bright idea to start talking about who's going to be on his right and who's going to be on his left. You know, if Peter was there, too, he, I'm sure he would have been involved in that conversation. <laughs> Here he is. He just told them, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to bear incredible agony. I'm going to go through this humiliation. And they're talking about, man, James, think I'll be on his left? Or you think I'll be on his right? That's my gangster disciple voice. (laughs) 
But Jesus goes on to say, he goes on to say that I, I didn't come here to be served. You crazy? Like, this isn't about positions. Like, this isn't about platforms. This is about serving one another. I mean, it's completely upside down. You think a king, if a king would come, you think he would come to serve? And that was his, that was his life, was all about, he's a, I mean, he's a king. He's the king of God, the king of God's kingdom. And he's coming to serve you, to serve me. Just incredible about what his heart is. His heart is to serve one another, to love one another, to come as we are right where God has us. And that's always been his heart. It's always been his heart about us caring for one another, serving one another, not fighting for positions, not fighting for titles, but just being in a place to where we can serve and love one another, encourage one another. I just see an incredible thing. It's, you know, um, geese kind of do this naturally. When they fly, they fly in this pattern. You know, the way that they fly, it gives strength to, eight, to each and every geese that flies. And it's what they call um, interdependence. And it's where it's learning to work together. And the lead geese doesn't stay the lead geese. It, they change and they rotate. But them flying like that gives them strength because they're together, right? They're not alone. And so I wanted to read this verse, uh, going back to not just encouraging us not to run alone, not ever to run alone. It's Proverbs 18.1. And it says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desires and rages against all wise judgment. Like isolation doesn't have to be just something about being present. It's about our heart being present. You know, you can, we can be in a group of people and be completely isolated. It's true. You really can. It's all about having our heart involved. You know, I've talked to people, and they're just like, you know what, I don't need church. Like, you know, there are places full of, full of hypocrites, or, you know, just all the things, different things you hear. And what you hear in isolation is it's all about self. When you're isolated, all you can think about is you. You can't think about anybody else, which is completely opposite of God's heart. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. Love is not self 
self-seeking. And a lot of times that self-seeking, it, yeah, it comes, from, it comes from hurts, comes from pain, comes from shame. But there is incredible freedom. First, when we can just go to God and we can just lay our stuff out before him and know that he loves us and he cares about us in, in spite of all of that. And then we can go to one another and let God love us right where we're at. The big thing is to remember why we run. Why do you run? Ask yourself, deep down inside, why, why do you run? For me, I picture like what I shared with you earlier. I picture experiencing that acceptance and that love that changed me forever and gave me a new life that would go on and on and on. Because that, the reason why you run is going to be also be the power and the strength to run. It's going to be your driving force, your motivation. Sometimes we just get so caught up in running, we forget why. And it's a good reminder to remind ourselves why. And it all goes back to God pouring his love and his grace over you in a very moment. Amen. <laughs> you know, but here's the thing about running a race is kind of like, it's kind of like a war. But we're not waging war with, with carnal means. We're not waging war as far as the world is concerned. You know the war is over between man and God. A lot of people are fighting, trying to fight a war that doesn't exist. The war is completely over. The only strategy, the only weapon that the enemy has is deception. And he is going about roaring like a lion, acting like he is somebody strong when he's not. Amen. He's been defeated. He's been stripped of all principality and power. That is the gospel. The enemy has been defeated, but what he does still do is he still lies, and he still is giving deception. And I think as our, as our call as a body is to wake people up, the war is over. You know, there's a story about this guy in, um, in World War II. Some of you have made, may have heard this story. There was a guy on the, an island in the Philippines for like 30, I think it was like 20 or 30 years. After the World War II was over, he had his, um, he had his group of men that he was in charge of, and they literally did guerrilla warfare for like 15 or 20 years, like killing people when the war was over. 
because he wouldn't go back or he wouldn't surrender until his general had come to him to give him the war is over, to declare that the war is over. So this man lived this, this whole life, grew old, this is a true story, and lived like a war was, still existed. You know what's sad? Is most Christians are living that, in, in that same war. It's true. When Jesus went to the cross, he completely annihilated, completely exhausted the wrath of God, the anger of God. There is no more wrath. There is no more anger. And there never will be. Wiped our sins away completely. Past, present, and future. Even the sins that we haven't even committed yet have been paid for at the cross. If we would have gathered our whole weight of sin on one side and just on the other side, one drop of Jesus' blood would completely turn that thing. That is to what extent Jesus has paid for our sins. And so this race that we're running together, it's, or this so-called what, I mean, if you call it a war, that we are fighting together. Jesus fought this war with love. His greatest weapon was laying his life down. His greatest weapon was serving one another, sharpening one another, one another. This is just a reminder as all of us to take time for us to think about one another, the people in our lives, and know that we are strongest when we are running together as a unit, as a family, as a community. And we're running because we want people to see Christ. We want people to see Jesus. We want people not frantic on an island, so to speak, for most of their life. You know, we hear testimonies like that all the time. People who've been raised in church their entire life. And they never, never knew how good God was. They never, never knew. I don't know about you, but that gets me upset. That gets me a little bit angry on the inside. Because we shouldn't have people who've grown up in church their whole life and not have a clue about how good God is and God's love for them. And so just by, you're not here by accident. It's not by accident that any of us are here today or here in general. But it is for the purpose of running this race with a cloud of witnesses, 
with a, with a crowd of people who love you, with a crowd of people who want to encourage you, with a crowd of people who want to support you, when you feel weighed down by life, somebody who can pick you up, when you need confidence and you feel like you don't have any, you have somebody to come along you and give you that confidence. When you feel hopeless, when you feel like there's no, I can't look into this future and see any expectation of anything good happening in my life, you got to have somebody to come along you and give you hope. And I just want to challenge each and every one of us, myself included, to reach out. Like, be who Jesus, that's who we already are. That's who we already are, is to love, to encourage one another, and to serve one another. Each one of us are so beautiful and so... There's, I just wish that each one of us could really see. Like, get step away from just seeing just what we have so envisioned our lives looking like for so long. Because God, if you just encounter that love on, in a real way, man, he'll dismantle that thing to pieces and give you something that is powerful and beautiful. And it doesn't mean you have to go save the world. But you're living your life knowing I am doing exactly what God would have me to do. There is nothing more fulfilling than to be in the right place. You know what I'm talking about? You've had those moments. Our lives are meant to be that all the time. Amen. Amen. So we just thank you, God. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for knitting us together. God, we thank you that we are connected, that we have the same Holy Spirit in each one of us that raised Jesus from the dead. God, we thank you for a grace to make an imagination on the inside which is being crafted and inspired by your spirit to see life, to see our future with an expected end. God, I thank you for helping us see that we can run with strength and not grow weary. God, I thank you that just... Right now, what you're doing is you are building us together. And I think that there's incredible celebration with that. There's incredible joy. There's incredible fulfillment. There's incredible peace. There's incredible everything that you've provided. God, thank you for that joy, fun. Life is supposed to be fun and enjoyable. And it's a lot more enjoyable when we're not doing it alone, but we're with or doing it with people that have purpose and passion and calling and love. God, I even thank you right now for just, just drawing each person to those individual people in their lives. Thank you, God, 
for the privilege to tell people about how good you are. Man, what an awesome opportunity. We are get to serve the King of Kings. God, and we just give you all the glory. God, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Love y'all. Thank y'all. Thanks so much.